Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons of thelions.com, and as always, I am joined by the one, the only, Kelly Ford. Kelly, what's going on, man? How are you today? I am great, Brett. We had a very exciting and fun week four of college football. Uh, really announced the season to probably the casual fans. I know our listeners have been tuned in well before that, but I think the country knows college football is well underway, and it should make for a very exciting week five. Yes, it should. Uh, my head still hurts from Saturday night watching uh, the Buckeyes punch in a late touchdown to win, uh, and my ego still bruised from the fact that I told everybody to take over on Iowa stuff, and they scored exactly zero points. Uh, so yeah, real dumb bet on my part. Hand up. Uh, I thought I thought again. of you, man. I thought of you when I <laughs> when I was watching that game, and I was like, oh, geez, this is Brett. And you called it. You said I'm either I'm either gonna look really dumb or it'll be a, a smart play. I know that's how it goes, but you called it. You kind of had a feeling, and hey, live and learn, and <laughs> that Iowa offense, they got a long way to go uh, to reach that goal that they have. Yeah, Penn State almost almost hit the over on their own. That's what I was rooting for about in the second quarter. Where I'm like, okay, this is just not happening with the Hawkeyes. Uh, you know, is what it is. Hand up. We move on to the next one. Before we get into the slate today, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at or X or whatever they're calling it at the lines US. You can find me at Road to CFB and Kelly's work at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here every single week breaking down the college football slate as well as the individual weeknight games. And Kelly. I hope you brought your Conference USA notes because that's what we're diving headlong into today. We have a couple of those on tap for the Week 5 weeknight slate. And we've even got a ranked matchup on Friday night between Utah and Oregon State. We're going to get into all of that. But I want to headline our show with this one. Uh, Middle Tennessee at Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers are 5.5-point home favorites, and this game carries an over-under of 60 points. Now, I put this in here for a couple reasons. One of them, though, is we are welcoming the state of Kentucky into the fold of legal sports betting this week. So if you are in uh, Kentucky and watching us for the first time, welcome, hello. We're going to talk about uh, all of your teams uh, in the next coming uh, days here for uh, these videos. So stay tuned with us and uh, welcome. The other reason, Kelly, is uh, this is a rivalry with a great rivalry name, 100 Miles of Hate. One of the best rivalry names, in my opinion, in the country. Western Kentucky leads this series 36-35-1. They've won the last four, so they pulled into the lead here. I mean, this is this is as good as it gets, man. It's evenly matched. It's got a great name, uh, and it kicks off Thursday at 7.30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. What more could you want? Now, Middle Tennessee did take a lot of movement after this line open at minus 7. It touched 8 briefly after the first initial feeding frenzy. And like I said, now we're back down to 5.5 points. Looks like there may be rain for this game. Uh, wind's not going to be an issue. Might be light and variable rain. About 30-40% I think I saw of a chance throughout this game here. Um, when I pulled up some of the advanced stats for this game, <laughs> Kelly, there's a lot of red on it. <laughs> there's a lot of bad or purple if you're using game on paper. There's a lot of negative colors with these teams. Starting with the Middle Tennessee defense, they're 121st in pass EPA and 124th in passing success rate. So not a lot of resistance from their secondary here. And they're going against the one, the only Austin Reed. Although the toppers have, they've taken a big hit with, without Ben Arbuckle conducting this offense. They're just not exactly the same as we've seen under the Zach Kitley tree adjacent the past couple of years. Um, they, ha- they run the ninth most passes per game. That's not entirely unexpected. 
but they're around 70th in EPA passing success rate, uh, and they and they have the 11th lowest average depth of target among quarterbacks with at least 100 attempts. So it's a lot of short stuff, and I can't blame them. Their elite wide receiver Malachi Corley, he's excellent with the ball in his hands, just a yak monster. He's 11.9 yards per reception, but just a five and a half yard a dot. Uh, that is the fourth lowest, by the way, among uh, receivers with at least 30 targets in the country. And this Western team, they don't really have a number two. I think they miss Daywood Davis, who's now a Texas Tech speedster. Uh, they don't really have that counterpunch. It's Malachi Corley or eh, anybody else. I don't really know, and they don't really have a run game either. Middle Tennessee, they counter pretty well. They have Teldrick Ross. I know I just said their pass defense is bad, but this individual corner, he's in his sixth year now. He's an extremely sure tackler, very good coverage corner. I think he matches up well with Corley. I think we're going to have a really nice battle on the edge there. Uh, however, do note that Malachi Corley went 10 for 100 in last year's matchup with Teldrick Ross in the lineup. And Middle Tennessee's offense, I want to touch on it real quick before we, uh, before I hand the baton over to you. I'm doing a lot of talking here, but it's tough to gauge where they're at considering they played Alabama, and Missouri, and then they played Murray State, and finally we get a data point with the Colorado State game. They were up 17 to 10 at halftime. Then they gave up a pair of long touchdown drives. They fumbled the ball away. That got picked up, returned for a touchdown, and that kind of sealed the game. But Kelly, how do your numbers shake this one out? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, Brett. And yeah, there's a lot to cover as we dive into Conference USA midweek games, a new wrinkle this year um, in 2023. You said there's a lot of red um, or purple on negative colors on the team sheets for these. My team dashboards agree. Both of these teams are having disappointing seasons. Uh, they're both down 2.5 points in the ratings compared to the preseason. Western is down 12 spots in the rankings from their preseason, and their regular season win total projection is down from 8.3 to 7.6. So, while Middle Tennessee is down four spots in the rankings, their chances to go bowling have decreased from 77% to 42% currently. Like, neither one of these teams is off to a great start. The good news is someone's going to get a win in this one. I have Western minus eight and a half, so I actually like Western a little bit more than, than Vegas does here. Uh, it's a 73% win expectancy for the Hilltoppers. My numbers have it as a pretty even matchup between the number 110 Western defense and number 112 Middle Tennessee offense. So, Evenly matched doesn't that mean it's even. high. Doesn't mean it's high quality, but evenly matched. The difference, though, is my numbers give Western a big advantage on the other side of the ball. Hilltoppers have the number sixty-five offense, that's second best in the conference. The Blue Raiders have a number one hundred seven defense. So that advantage, combined with the home field advantage, should be the difference in this one for me. Bottom line, I have Western minus eight and a half. It's a twenty-seven percent chance that Middle Tennessee earns the upset win on the road. Brett, as we look at the conference standings and how this game impacts it, these are currently projecting as the teams with the second and third best chances to make the conference championship game. Western Kentucky with a sixty-two percent chance. That's second best. If they get the win here, that jumps to seventy percent. If they lose, it, it falls to 40%, and they would then fall behind Middle Tennessee in the projected standings. Middle Tennessee currently in third in that third place with a 22% chance. If they win, it's up to 42%. If they lose, they drop to fourth uh, with just a 15% chance. So that's the impact of this game. All else equal on the conference standings, or the projected conference standings, I should say. Yeah, I think the only constant that we have in Conference USA right now, the only reliable team, is uh, Liberty and uh uh, the other the other spot is kind of up for grabs, right? 92% chance Liberty makes the conference championship game at this point. Yeah, they have separated themselves. Um, at the beginning of the year, I had Western and then Liberty, kind of the top two, and that was clear. 
Liberty has now become the top one, and, and that is clear, at least as things stand uh, right now. Yeah, maybe time to talk to your family about an undefeated Liberty Flames team this year, and I'm not, not joking about that one. Yes, sir. We've got a lot to get to. Let's stay in Conference USA, though, with, uh, oh boy, this is certainly a matchup. We have the Jacksonville State Gamecocks, a six-and-a-half-point uh, road favorite at Sam Houston State Bearcats with a K. This game has a blistering over-under of 36-and-a-half points. Game kicks off on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Uh, looking at the weather down in Huntsville, uh, we are still in the mid-90s, Texas. What what are we doing? It's fall. Let's go. Didn't they get the memo? It's going to be 95 uh, on this day. I don't know. It's going to be that at kickoff, probably a little bit less than that. The Jacksonville State coming off what I thought was a really impressive 21-0 shutout win over Eastern Michigan. Uh, Eastern Michigan might be very, very bad, folks. It's not great. Uh, I, I dabbled a little bit in the alt line of minus 20 and a half for Jacksonville State at like plus 380, and I was pretty happy about that one. Um, but their leading rusher from last year, Anwar Lewis, he's expected to return this week. He has not played yet this year, or at least a full game. He's gotten some special team snaps, uh, I think, in week two it was. B rushed for 800 yards and eight touchdowns on the ground last year, so him coming back is not nothing. And on the other side, Sam Houston State, boy, they just scored, scored their first FBS touchdown, uh, but they got boat raced by Houston 38-7. Grant Gannell, if the, 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 the annals of history from college football coming back around, Grant Gunnell, Gunnell, whatever it's pronounced, uh, he's a former Arizona quarterback, and he actually took over the starting job for Sam Houston State this, uh, this past week. They scored on the very first drive, and then they did not score again the rest of the game against the Houston defense that I, I don't think is very good. This is just an offense that's entirely broken. They had 11 drives but only ran 49 scrimmage plays. Like this, these, this is three and out city for these guys here. The offensive line got a little bit of a push. They got uh, about two line yards per carry, which, which is good, which is very good, actually. But the running backs just make nothing of it. They have no vision. They have no burst. They're not creating their own plays. Um I took this one. I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Kyle Hunter was the one that originally shared this, one of the best handicappers on Twitter. Uh, he says that Sam Houston State still does not have a rush of 10 or more yards through three games. Uh, that's impressive considering this team looks to the ground game pretty often. It, this is historic levels of bad through their three games. They've had a, had a bye week out here. Um, but they, uh, they have a 20% success rate last game. 20%. Brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal. And Jacksonville State's defense, they're actually pretty strong. Most of their metrics, they're top 10 nationally, 4.1 yards per play allowed. They have a plus almost two turnover margin, 1.7 turnover margin per game. They have an 11.7, almost 12% sack rate, and that's because they're very athletic in the front seven. They're very fast. Uh, they're physical. They're tough, even though they're not very big. Um, Sam Houston State on the other side, their defense has been okay, but they have a 2.6% sack percent sack rate, which is the sixth word nationally. So, um, yeah, for me, this is a one-way street. This is a one team has some redeeming qualities, and the other team is, is just bad. Brett, just giving it to you like it is. Uh, I'll be a little more measured in that one. It's the FBS newbies, so that's something to be excited about. Uh, but these two teams are having very different FBS experiences so far. I have Jacksonville State minus six. It's a 67% win expectancy for the Gamecocks. I learned a lot from James Madison's FCS to FBS transition last year. When I say I, I mean the model. Um, but it was still difficult to formulate solid preseason projections for these teams because these transitions don't happen all the time. We're going to get another one next year with Kennesaw State. Um, I did a better job with Sam Houston than Jacksonville State, but I'm going to start with Jacksonville State since they're my projected 
expected winner here. The Gamecocks have improved their power rating by 6.9 points this season. That's ninth most in the country. Again, I was probably too low on them coming in, but the model is catching up to a more accurate reflection of what this team's quality is. They have 1.2 more wins currently than I projected through week four, and their regular season win total has improved from 4.5 to 7.1. The plus 2.6 improvement there is fourth best in the nation. Jacksonville State now number 100 overall. It's the defense that's been most impressive. As you said, they've risen all the way to number 69 this week. And speaking of defense, that's where um, Sam Houston has been good. Uh, I have them ranked number 50. That's the best in the conference. The Bearcats need every bit of that defensive team strength, though, because their offense currently ranks number 133. That is dead last in FBS. Um, Despite the 0-3 start, I'm still projecting 3.5 regular season wins for Sam Houston. That's the exact same number as I projected in my preseason realistic expectations. So again, it's a combination of how has Sam Houston changed in their power rating and how have the other teams on their schedule changed to this point. The net effect there is is nothing in terms of their projected regular season win total. Um, this game, as you said, Brett, should be all about defense. These defenses are the best units on both of these teams. The offenses are both sub 100 with Sam Houston being 133. So bottom line, I have Jacksonville State minus six. It's a 33% chance Sam Houston earns their first win as an FBS program. And uh, I like to do for conference games that, you know, look ahead of what does this do to their chances to make the conference championship game. Well, both these teams are transitioning to FBS, as I mentioned, so they are ineligible for the conference championship game. No impact on those chances for this one. Kelly, I have a question for you, and I'll buy you some time if you can look it up. You said that Sam Houston State's offense is last in the FBS. By how many points? Give me one like second. What, I, yeah, yep, like I got to pull it up. Filibuster um, for me. While, yeah, while you do that, I know some people are worried about Sam Houston State's defense being really good. You mentioned it. They're, they're 50th best in the conference. Uh, but they did just give up 38 points to what I believe is a remedial Houston offense. And I don't even mean remedial for Power 5. I mean remedial nationally. They did just give up 38 to them. Um, I'm going to be honest here. I bet Jacksonville State going away minus 6.5. Uh, this is basically a bet on whether you think Jacksonville State is able to score two or more touchdowns. That's the way I'm viewing it right now. Uh, the Gamecocks run really fast. They have a very, very fast-tempoed offense, so I trust them to be able to find the end zone maybe twice or three times. But seriously, I'm just looking at this as a bet of does Jacksonville State score two-plus touchdowns or two touchdowns and a field goal because I have zero faith in Sam Houston State to be able to score more than seven points. Yeah, so I found it here. Um, they they are dead last. Kent State is my number 132. It's a difference right now of about uh, two and a half points, probably. Um, close, to, close, close, close to a field goal. That is significant when you're talking about um, where we are within these ratings. I mean, th- that's a long, that's a big gap between two teams that are next to each other in the rankings. UConn is currently number 131 on the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, they are the worst offense in FBS, and it's really not particularly close. Um, I looked at, I'm looking at Kent State's schedule right now, too, a resume. They scored six points at UCF, six points at Arkansas, 38 points against um, CCSU, uh, Central Connecticut Central State Connecticut. University. I had to look. I was like, wait, who is that? <laughs> CCSU, and then 10 points on the road at Fresno State. So they haven't accomplished much on offense either, and I'm saying that Sam Houston is almost a field goal worse than that in the projections. That's significant. That checks out. All right, moving forward, and uh, again, welcoming our new Kentucky sports bettors as your legal sports betting launches this week. I'm very excited for you. I remember when my state did it last year, Ohio, or this past year, I guess, technically. Uh, but we've got the Louisville Cardinals 
a three-point road favorite at NC State. This game carries an over-under of 55 points, and it kicks off Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Now, this is interesting, but this is the first true road game for Louisville. You say, wait a minute, they played two games away from home. Yes, both at neutral sites and NFL stadiums. This is their first true road test uh, that they have on their schedule. This is uh, more barn burners on offense. Uh, NC State's offense is just completely broken as well, just like Sam Houston. It's not just like Sam Houston's, but it's, it's not great. Their wide it's receivers. Not that bad. No, it's not that bad. But their wide receivers have 10 drops this season. That's eighth most in the country. I talked about it a little bit last week. Brennan Armstrong has not looked great. I thought it really wasn't all his fault, not entirely his fault. I still stand by that, but he's not helping too much. He's uh, been really indecisive, fairly inaccurate as well. And, uh, yeah, the rest of the NC State offense just doesn't have enough skill talent to be able to offset that. Since Tim Beck is gone and, you know, he's – They've brought in new offense and things like that. You know, he's tearing down that offense in Coastal Carolina. I thought the NC State would improve, but they're not. They're almost regressing from last year. And I have to imagine now this is a Dave Dorn problem. How? What other consistent do they have that we can point to and say, yes, this is why your offense isn't working that well? Uh, they were quiet against Virginia's defense, which is not good at all. A, a defense that gave up 38 points to James Madison and. You know, you only score 21, you have to kick a last-second field goal uh, to win the game. Even that was pretty lucky because Virginia just, like, they didn't want to win the game, so they said, here you go, Anthony Calandria specifically. He's like, here you go, you can win the game. Uh, That was a lot of fun, though, to watch. Louisville is far, far more dangerous offensively than Virginia or UConn. Uh, And then that Notre Dame game was kind of weird with the delays and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, Louisville, very explosive. They have the second-most 30-plus-yard plays this season. Jawar Jordan, one of my favorite players in the FBS. He's second in yards after contact average, and he has eight rushes over 15 yards. Kelly, for reference, NC State's entire team has six rushes of 15 or more yards, and Jawar Jordan has eight by himself. Uh, the Wolfpack, their, their defense is usually pretty good. That's regressed, too. Their corners have been really bad. They're allowing 21 yards per reception between the two starters. 21 yards per reception for these two starting corners for NC State. They're, the A dot here is 15.9 and 12.9, depending on which one you look at. I mean, like, teams are not afraid to just bomb the, uh, the football downfield on them, and it's working. And you know what? Louisville is a guy called Jamari Thrash, who's averaging 21 yards per reception himself and has five scores this year. I'm looking to him. I'm looking to his props. They're going to be really inflated, probably mid-80s or higher. I'm, I'm still considering an over bet on Jamari Thrash's receiving yards in this game. NC State. They're decent at mitigating chunk plays. They're tied for 17th and 10 uh, yards or more uh, plays allowed. Let me rephrase that. 17th and 10 plus yard plays allowed. Uh, that's a much more concise way to say it. But they do give up home runs. Like I said, the, the 30 plus yard plays, they've given up 10 of them. That's a bottom 20 number nationally. Two teams that started the season power rated number 39 and number 40. Uh, so right next to each other but have trended in opposite directions since. From a resume standpoint, Louisville's number 19 in my most deserving rankings. There's a 72% chance that the average top 25 FBS team would be 4-0 and against Louisville's schedule. That's 20th best in the country, so pretty strong. The average top 25 team would be expected to outscore Louisville's opponents by 2.7 points per game more than the Cardinals have so far. That's 26th best in the country. So again, strong for Louisville here. 
From a predictive standpoint, I have Louisville minus six and a half. It's a 68% win expectancy. The Cardinals are up 4.5 points in the ratings and currently number 28 in the corresponding rankings with my power ratings this week. They're the number 16 offense and the number 47 defense. So as you said, this offense, I mean, Jeff Brown gets there and all of a sudden um, he's bringing it with him and doing a lot with a quarterback that hasn't always done a lot at previous stops. So despite being just the seventh best power rated team in the ACC, Louisville has the second best chance to make the conference championship game behind only Florida State due to the relative ease of their conference schedule uh, for the Cardinals upcoming here. Miami is the only conference game in which my numbers make Louisville a projected underdog the rest of the way. But it's worth noting for the purposes of this conversation that Louisville welcomes Notre Dame to town next week. The Cardinals cannot afford to overlook the Wolfpack because while they are the better team, while my numbers do favor them, it is a one-score spread. And we see time and time again, one score spread underdogs win and sometimes win with ease if the other team is not fully focused. So uh, the Cardinals need to be focused on the Wolfpack this week. I think they will be, though, given what's potentially in front of them. I think taking it one game at a time is something that Jeff Brown can and will do. Um, so I think the Cardinals will get it done. For NC State, we talked about the offense. You made the reference to Sam Houston. I know tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's actually been about what I projected on the offensive side of the ball. They're currently number 68. I had them number 65 in the preseason, so I, I didn't have a ton of expectations. I did have expectations for this defense, though. Um, I predicted the number 18 in the preseason. They've fallen all the way down to number 45. As a result, the Wolfpack are down four points in the power ratings, and they're currently power ranked, power rated ranked number 56 overall. So bottom line, I have Louisville minus six and a half, 32% chance that NC State gets to 2-0 and in conference play. As we look at what this game does to the projected conference standings, Louisville currently has a 37% chance to make it to Charlotte. That's second best in the conference. With a win, that jumps to 46%, and they remain in the second best chances. If they lose this one unexpectedly, it's tight, like I said. And remember, they're not one of the top you know, two, three, four, five power-rated teams in the ACC. So if they lose this one unexpectedly, their chances to make it to Charlotte drop to 17%. That is just sixth best in the conference. So while I'm saying Louisville's a favorite to make it to that game right now, they really need to take care of business in the games that they are favored to do so because they just don't have the overall quality to make up for it potentially in other spots in the schedule. For NC State, they currently have a 1% chance to make it to Charlotte. That's 7th best in the conference. If they win, it remains 7th best, but it jumps to 3%. So very, very unlikely. If they lose, it falls below 1%, and that would be ninth best in the ACC. Uh, did you know that the ACC currently has six teams that are 4-0? I, d- not d- bad. Man, they're get they're getting wins. That is for yeah, sure. Yeah, not bad. It's an interesting conference to watch. And then we got Clemson at two and two, zero oh and two in ACC play. By the way, they're sitting at the bottom of uh, the standings currently as we speak. But I, I so NC State they've been actually pretty good in the pass rush. Uh, that's not unexpected. They have a pretty good front seven. Uh, it's their secondary that really lets them down. They have a nine percent sack rate, which is solid. But Louisville's offensive line they've only allowed one sack all year. And we're talking Jack Plummer. We're not talking about a super mobile, super escapable quarterback avoiding sacks. No, it's just the offensive line has been really good. Scheme's been, you know, ball out of the hand. They've been able to negate some of that ferocious pass rush with a good inside run game with Juar Jordan. But to me, this kind of comes down to explosive play rate and uh, explosive play potential. Louisville has it, and if they hit on a couple with uh, Jamari Thrash or, or, or Jordan, I'm, I'm not sure NC State has a counter on offense. And for that reason, I took Louisville minus three on the road. I take them at three or better. It seems that there is some resistance for NC State at three and a half, uh, but I just don't have a lot of faith in this team. 
I think that they're a big enough and quality enough opponent for Louisville to not overlook them with Notre Dame on tap, uh, if, if nothing else, just because they've been good in the past few years and because of the logo recognition. But, yeah, Louisville minus three is my play on this one. Before we move there, Brett, just playing off your 4-0 and comment, there are six teams in the ACC that I currently project to with a, with a regular season projected win total of 8.8 or more. Wow. Basically, wow. Six, te- six teams that I give a better than 50-50 chance to reach nine regular season wins. And get this. Doesn't even include Clemson. Clemson's not in that group. It's Florida State. It's Miami. It's North Carolina, Syracuse, this Louisville team, and Duke. Clemson projecting at 7.1 uh, regular season wins now, given where they are. Their most likely record there for Clemson is looking like a 7-5. and five. Oh, no. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's their most likely, followed closely by 8-4. and four. There is a 14% chance that they still reach 9-plus regular season wins. But if you would have told me a month ago right now when the season started, hey, after four weeks, you're going to have all these teams at 4-0. and You're going to have six teams that have a projected win total of 8.8 or more. How much you want to bet Clemson's not one of those teams? I mean, I, I would have taken any odds you offered yeah. and said that's a guarantee winner like it's been it's that's college football and uh, Louisville is right there in that mix yeah and, and our top two conferences as it stands right now is the ACC and Pac-12 <laughs> aka the two conferences that were supposed to be thrown out and one that is being thrown out its conference realignment yep. and the it's... and the you know the two big the Big Ten and the SEC quite frankly are not playing very well besides maybe their absolute top it's the college football gods giving us some sort of justice and um just a feeling of, of, of good before that all happens, which I think is not good, but it is what it is, and we're following money. I get it. Well, let's jump from that ACC to the aforementioned Pac-12, where we have a ranked matchup here, Kelly. We have number 10 Utah on the road at number 19 Oregon State. The Beavers are now three-and-a-half-point home favorites, and this game carries an over-under of just 44-and-a-half points. This game kicks off Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so you can get in your high school Friday night light watching and then come home, cozy up, get a hot chocolate, and watch this game here on FS1. Early in the week, it still appears that the market doesn't believe that Cam Rising is ready to play. Uh, you know what? I kind of buy into that. Uh, the line has moved off a number that was around to pick them, minus one. Now it's minus three and a half. I... Uh, I know that there's a lot of speculation whether, well, is Cam Rising coming back? Is he playing? Is he not? Kelly, Utah goes into a bye week next week. Why at this point in the season, with how well that you're playing, why would you jam him in if he's not completely 100% ready? You have an extra two weeks now at your disposal to be able to get him ready when you come back and you still have uh, some of the big guys that you're playing on your schedule ahead of you. Um, it just makes sense to me. I, I have no information on this whatsoever, but at this point, I, I would just hold him out. Return him post bye week against Cal. Ease him in that way before you hit uh, the real meat of your schedule. And, and like I said, the team is operating really well without him anyway. Like they're they're just they're playing well. It's Kyle Whittingham is just an absolute masterclass in how to coach. Like coaching one on one clinic is going on right now in Salt Lake City. And Utah just dominated Dante Moore in UCLA. It absolutely dominated them. They sacked Moore seven times. Uh, that actually led to a very funny box score of 32 rushes for nine total yards. I actually had to go back and look at that to make sure it wasn't nine rushing attempts for 32 yards. No, 32 rushing attempts for nine total yards. But college football, please stop factoring sacks into, into rushing. That's so dumb. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, we, we, you have to like manually filter that out when you're doing your predictive stuff. 
Right, which I did. And, and you know, I just removed all of Dante Moore's uh, rushes annoying. and all. I know he had three non-sacks, whatever. But either way, the running backs carried the balls for 60 yards on 22 carries. So we're still talking about an absolute lockdown job from Utah there. Uh, UCLA had a sub their left, left tackle out. Uh, he had a zero pass blocking grade for that game. He allowed, get this, a pressure or committed a penalty on five of his nine pass sets before they yanked him and put somebody else in there. Um, Oregon State, they have an excellent offensive line, but the weakest link is that left tackle. We've, we've seen it already uh, cause issues for other teams, um, but they still have not allowed pressures on 38 pass snaps. Uh, they didn't allow one last week on, on, um, on DJU. I almost lost his name there. Damian Martinez, though, their star running back. This is where the offense runs through. He's the fourth highest average uh, on carries, 7.4 yards per attempt. Uh, that's fourth highest among minimum 50 rushes. 61% of his yards come on breakaway runs. He's an extremely explosive athlete. Very, very good at finding small little creases. This, to me, he looks like an NFL back to me, the way that he scans the field and be able to just see the smallest crease and boom, hits that and gets his yardage. Um, but can he find a crease against this Utah defense? I don't know, man. UCLA wasn't able to, and they have one of the better running games in the country. So we'll, we'll definitely find out. We will find out. This is an intriguing game for me. I, I usually like when college football games are on Saturday. I don't mind this one being pulled out in its own window on a Friday night. Like I, I want to give this game its due attention and have it on the main screen. So I'm happy we can do that uh, on a weeknight here. I have Oregon State minus one and a half. It's a 55% win expectancy for the Beavers. Um, this game should be awesome. Like I said, it's interesting to me because from a power rating standpoint, these teams are almost mirrors of one another. They're almost 180s. Um, Oregon State began the year power rated number 24 with a better projected defense at number 26 than offense at number 35. After a 3-1 and one start, which has seen the Beavers outscore their opponents by 3.3 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 FBS team against their schedule, Oregon State's power rating is up more than 2.5 points. And now it's the offense at number 14 that is performing better than the defense, number 34. So that's flipped from the preseason. Conversely, for Utah, they entered the year power rated number 15 with a better projected offense at number 12 than defense, number 22. So different, exact opposite of what Oregon State was in the preseason. Now the Utes are 4-0. They're ranked number four in my most deserving rankings. There's only a 38% chance that the average top 25 FBS team would be 4-0 against Utah's schedule. But it's the defense that's now number five is the better ranked of the two units um, with the Cam rising list offense down to number 52. So again, these teams came into the year projecting to be better on one side of the ball, and it was different for the two of them. And now they've totally switched as to what their actual strength is as we started putting in this in-season data. That to me is just interesting. We don't always see that, um, especially you know this far into the year. I mean, we're, we're getting close to halfway through this season already. Um, these two teams are number 21 and number 22 in my power ratings. The winner will have the fourth best odds to make it to Las Vegas, all else equal by my numbers. So it's going to be close. It's going to be exciting. I agree with you. I don't think Cam Rising should play unless he's 100%, given that the bye is coming up. And this is not disrespect to Oregon State, because they are a good team. They're a sleeper team. That sleeper status got a little bit of a ding with the loss against Washington State last, last week. But if I'm Utah... You lose this game, Oregon State. Okay, now you're both one and one. You've lost the the tie break here, but you've got bigger, more projected quality opponents coming up. Again, no disrespect to Oregon State; they're currently number twenty two in my power rankings. That's really good. But when you're Utah and you're looking, you got I got on the road to USC in a couple weeks. I got home to Oregon in a couple weeks. I got on the road at Washington in a couple weeks. All those those are top ten teams. Like, um, so 
I want Cam Rising to be in the best position to be fully healthy for those games. And if that means not playing here, then getting the bye and the, or getting your off week and then welcoming Cal to town again, maybe he doesn't even need to play there unless he's ready and then get him some snaps before USC, uh, the road trip to USC in week eight. So bottom line, I have Oregon State minus one and a half, 45% chance Utah gets the win and heads into their off week at five and oh, I mentioned the winner of this game is going to have the fourth best chances to make it to Las Vegas by my numbers. Currently that's Utah at 11%. If they win, it goes up to 18%. If they lose, it drops to a 6% chance, which is fifth best. And, and you say, well, Kelly, you, you just said this isn't the end of the world if they lose it. Well, because that schedule so difficult coming up, that's why it's just a 6% chance because my model is looking at this saying, you're going to be a multi-score underdog projected right now against all those teams I previously mentioned, USC, Oregon, Washington. Now, if Cam Rising's back, that, that's probably not the case. You're still an underdog, but maybe not by that much. So you need to get him healthy. For Oregon State, currently a 3% chance to make it to Las Vegas. That's seventh best in the con- conference. If they win, it's up to 7%. If they lose, it drops to less than 1%. So Oregon State, you know, they were a sleeper pick, a dark horse pick for a lot of teams because that schedule in conference sets up pretty nicely. You're already 0-1. If you drop this one, um, you really don't like their chances because they still have games against UCLA, Washington, and Oregon, among others, on the schedule. And with two losses in the bank, it's not looking good if they lose this one. So both teams want this one. Oregon State needs it probably. Um, and Utah, they got to get Rising healthy. Yeah, you mentioned that Oregon State's defense has not lived up to expectation. I think that's because their pass rush just haven't lived, hasn't lived up to expectation. I haven't really been that impressed with it. Eight of their nine primary guys on pass rushes with at least 20 pass rush snaps, they have a less than 10% win rate. That means they are not winning at the line of scrimmage. That's not a scheme thing. That's a mono mono thing, and they're just really not getting it done like a lot of the other teams in the Pac-12 are. And, you know, here's their opponents. San Jose State, UC Davis, San Diego State, Wazoo. It's not exactly this murderer's row of offensive lines. They're, they're serviceable, certainly. But th- th- these are opponents that, that Oregon State's defensive front really should be doing better against. And, you know, that, that's hurting the rest of them. But I have to break this out when I have the opportunity to. Jonathan Smith, 60% against the spread in his career. He's just 1-2 this year. But this is a six-year sample size. Jonathan Smith is just a cover machine. Uh, again, overperforming expectations. That's the name of the game. With Air Force, Troy Calhoun, Oregon State, these are these teams that consistently perform at or over expectation. Very rarely are they letting you down very much. But you said that this game gets its own window. But boy, Kelly, we got another game going on too. Probably by the time this this game rolls over near to halftime, we have Cincinnati visiting BYU. The Cougars are one and a half point home favorites. This game has an over under of 48 and a half points. And it kicks off at 10.15 p.m. Eastern on Friday night on ESPN. Kelly, we got ourselves an elevation game. You have to talk about it when it comes up. Lavelle Edwards Stadium sits at 4,500 feet above sea level. That is the eighth highest in the FBS. Uh, but it's all within a few feet of like Utah, Utah State, because they're all in the same you know metro area. So uh, we're talking about eighth, but really it's, it's among the highest there. Uh, and this is also over 1,600 miles away from home for the Bearcats. That is their longest Big 12 trip that they can possibly make on the slate. And, of course, their longest road trip of the season. A lot of last-second money came in last week on Cincinnati against Oklahoma, and it pushed the market from minus 14 down to minus 12.5. And And while Oklahoma covered, they won 20-6, to so if you bet it, the opening line they pushed, uh, it it appears that the market movement wasn't all that unfounded. Uh, Cincinnati, I thought, played a lot better than expected in that game. Offense was an issue, though. They only picked up 54% of available yards and scored six points on 91 plays ran. That's a 41% success rate. Not great. Their star linebacker on the other side, Deshaun Pace, he was actually sat out last game for disciplinary reasons. Um, He's coming back for this game, so no worry there. But that was a big, big, big miss for Cincinnati. And I can't help to think that if they had him in the lineup, 
Maybe that game's even closer than it, than it showed on the final box there. BYU. It's looking like week one, their offensive effort against Sam Houston was kind of an outlier. Maybe uh, you know, new FBS team hadn't played him before. Pressure. I, I don't know what it was, but they just didn't play very well. They only won 14-0. to um, But they've scored 38-27 and against their other two FBS opponents. Aiden Robbins, the running back, he missed last game. There's a report that he may miss a few more weeks. He's been really inefficient, though. 2.9 a carry after rushing for over 1,000 yards last year. And uh, he's sitting behind what who appears to be the lead back right now, LJ Martin. Uh, Cody Epps, a wide receiver for BYU, is also dealing with an injury. He hasn't really played much at all this year. Guys, BYU's wide receiver room, is, it was banged up last year, too. I need to know what's going on in the strength conditioning program. This is a this is a, a unit that back-to-back years, I think even the 2021, they're dealing with some stuff, too. This is a consistently hurt room. Um, and it has to be BYU because Puka Nakua is up in the NFL just absolutely tearing it up right now. So it's not these guys. Um, the Cougars have their hands full with Dante Corleone and Jawan Briggs up front for Cincinnati. Uh, but the interior offensive line for BYU is held up pretty well. They've only allowed nine pressures from their two guards in their center and just one sack from that. So a lot of the pressure is coming from the tackles. But you have big Dante Corleone right in the middle there. Keaton Slovis, he's going to get a workout. BYU really inefficient on the ground and trying to run into these two guys or Cincinnati's front seven in general. That's going to be an issue. So I expect a pass-heavy approach from BYU. Two Big 12 newbies that are having better than expected starts to their seasons overall. Um, you can define that a little differently. BYU's ahead of schedule slightly with regard to their win-loss record. Cincinnati has improved their K-4 rating from the beginning of the year. So I'm changing how I'm defining that. But I think both teams are relatively happy with their starts. But both are 0-1 in conference play and carrying losing streaks into this game. So I have Cincinnati minus one. It's a 53% win expectancy. Should be close. Should be a good one. And yes, I did say uh, that the Oregon State-Utah game had its own window. I meant it'll be on the big screen, um, which it may not have been if it was on a Saturday really at any time. So yeah, this game will be on too. And once that one's over, this will make its way on to the main screen. Um, Cincinnati's chance to go bowling has improved from 55% in the preseason to 79% currently. Uh, the Bearcats' power ratings improved nearly three points, and it's due primarily to the offense being better than expected. They've risen from number 76 to number 62, and the defense has remained top 40 as we expected. Um, BYU's power rating and ranking are both nearly identical to where they were in the preseason. Uh, it's the defensive improvement that's been offset by the offensive regression by my numbers, as you kind of touched, touched on there, Brett. The defenses should be the best units on the field, um, but both of these teams enter their off week after this game. So I expect both teams to really be giving everything they have here and pulling out all the stops, kind of letting it all hang out before they can regroup and enter the stretch run of conference play in the second half of their seasons here. Um, bottom line, I have Cincinnati minus one. It's a 47% chance BYU earns their first Big 12 uh, conference win. As we look at the projected conference standings, listen, it, it's Texas and Oklahoma right now in the Big 12 and then kind of a, a big grouping of other teams. These two teams right now are not even in that other big grouping. Currently, Cincinnati has a 3% chance to make it to Arlington. That's seventh best in the conference if they win. It jumps to a 5% chance, but that's still that's fifth best in the conference. So that's why th there is a drop-off after Texas-Oklahoma and then a couple other teams in there. With a loss, it's down to a 1% chance, which would be eighth best. For BYU, win, lose, draw here, it's less than a 1% chance to make it, kind of regardless of what happens. If they lose this game, they actually drop to uh, last in the projected conference standings. With a win, they'd be number 11. So um, that was never the goal for these two teams, to, to make it or win the Big 12 championship in year one. The goal was 
to establish yourself as, you know, programs that can contend at the power five level um, in this new look big 12. And then you're only the new kids on the block for one year, given all the changes that they have coming to the big 12 conference membership next year. So um, better than expected starts looking good to um, have good season. Still, this would be a big win though, for either team. That's why you get the spread uh, projected what it is. Kelly, imagine saying that BYU's defense is the strength of their team in the past two years. I, didn't expect great it. turnaround. Didn't expect it. That's right. Yep. Jay, the, uh, the head coach that they pulled up from Weber State, man, he's turned this ship around. I know we talked about in the preseason, said we both liked the hire, but we weren't sure about how much damage he could really do in one year. And, phew, it's, it's been, been great. Yep. It, it's yep. been real good. But, hey, I think that is a great re, uh, preview of this week five weeknight slate. The college football season is pressing. Uh, pretty soon, Kelly, on October 4th, starting October 4th, we will have 49 consecutive days of football on your screen between college and the NFL. So get ready. Cancel your plans or get your plans done out of the way because we got 49 straight days in which we can say no to many things after work. But hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates on our college football channel and join a sharp and active community. Guys, we've got someone in there doing props that is like absolutely murdering it. I'm tailing his props because he, he went 4-1 and one last week. Uh, he's, he's making us some, some nice beer money on the side here. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to Align's YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos just like this one all season long. Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, whatever you're listening to these days, and drop us a good review if you like the show. Kelly, before we close up shop, please let everybody listening know where they can find your work. Absolutely. You can find me on X at K Ford Ratings. You can find my website, kfordratings.com, and then writing a couple articles per week over at thelines.com as well. Those are kind of all the places you can check out my college football content. Well, thank you so much, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.